How's everybody doing? Good, good. Good to see everyone, and uh, I love seeing you. I really do. And uh, I want you to think about something. Think about someone you did not see yesterday. That sounds like an impossible question to answer. How can you think of someone you did not see yesterday? How is that even possible? Well, there's a couple authors, Fod and Briscoe and Beck, they offer a possible explanation. It's what they say. In his book, Next Door as It Is in Heaven, authors Lance Ford and Brad Briscoe speak of the profound loneliness that's out there. And also, they also talk about that people have this sense where they don't value at all. They suggest that we contribute to this loneliness and lack of self-worth that others feel because we move throughout our life, our day, we rarely lift our head to say hello. We're busy, we're distracted, we're getting things done, we're driven, we're sometimes self-absorbed, we're hurried, sometimes we're closed off to connections with other people. They call it relational aloofness. Now, in the book, Ford and Briscoe, they also write observation from Peter Sange, who tells the story of the people tribes in the Natal in South Africa who have a greeting that's similar to when we say hello, they say Saoboma. Saoboma means I see you. And it literally means I see you. The most common response to this greeting is Sikona. I am here. Uh, notice the order of the exchange that until I see who you are, you do not exist. A deep truth resides in that profound cultural practice. And here is the challenge. As we move throughout our day without seeing people as people, as far as we're concerned, in that moment they don't really exist. Be, but but there's a, uh, there, is a, there is hope. If we become, if we choose to become conscious of people and we approach people, see people, we might bring a little bit of heaven on this earth. Now, Richard Beck is an author of another book called Unclean. He writes, he suggests that we surround ourselves and, and give ourselves, give attention to ourselves to people who are like us, uh, who are connected to us. He says that every single one of us Man in the image of God has a moral circle. And in that moral circle, there are people that we share the same values, same habits, same, we're driven, we do the same things. We're nice to them, we love them. Think of it this way. Imagine you have, a, it could be your brother, it could be your sister, it could be your, your mom comes to you and says, you know what, I'm going to the, start serving in the restaurant. And... I'm going to do the training, and I'm going to get started at a certain date. And once she finishes the training, or he, she tells you that, hey, this is the date I'm starting. You decide, you gather a group of friends, uh, you know, 10, 15 people, and say, okay, we're going to go support my brother, my mom, or whoever it is you're connected to, you love, you care about. Uh, you're going to go support this person who's serving for the first time in this nice restaurant. You get there. And she shows up at the table, and there's 15 of you, and she looks around, she's like, it's my first day. This is not going to go good. And she's sweating bullets, and she's wondering whether she can 
pull this through. And she asks, you want water? And you're like, no, it's fine. I don't need water. I don't even drink water. <laughs> she, you put in your order. You ask for steak. And instead, you get cod. You say, oh, now I love cod. It's terrific. It's fine. It's fine. I love cod. Don't worry about it. It's all good. You're going to eat this. And then what do you do at the end of the night? You overtip them. Don't you? Now, imagine the same scenario. On this time, you have no idea who this guy, who this gal, who this person is. You never met. You don't know who they are. You don't know what zip code they live at. You know, you, they come in. They ask, you ask them for it. Coke Zero, and they, instead you, it starts tasting like Diet Coke. <laughs> uh, you start making these mental pictures of what uh, this experience is going to look like by the end of the night. You get caught, and then you're like, no, I don't even want this. Send it back. Uh, you stop making eye contact. You stop connecting with them. You stop noticing who they are. Suddenly you start... Like, okay, uh, mental map, okay, here we go. How much tip am I going to give? Ten, now we're going down to five, we're going down to four, to one, zero. You're done. Now, why such different reactions to the same behavior? Two different types of behavior from us towards two different people. One is your friend, be your mother, your brother. The other one is not. The other one is somebody's mom, somebody's friend, somebody's brother. Why do we even justify two different types of behavior of people that we meet? Uh, we show kindness to our own, meaning that if you're in the circle, the moral circle of where uh, we share the same ethnicity, background, financial status, maybe age, orientation, family members, skill set, and more, ah, I'll give you my most love, my most attention. I will notice you. Until you see them, they don't exist. Well, just imagine, imagine or dream with me a little bit what it would look like, how different it would be in your world if we intentionally decided to see people who are different from us, who people, or maybe to see people who are unlike us. Imagine if we decide, okay, I'm done with that. God, I need help. I want to see people the way you see people. What if all of us here at Grace Chapel Washington were known, we were known for knowing, treating loving people as family. What would it do to you? What would it do to your heart? What would it do to our neighborhood? What would it do to our community? What would it do to our city, our state, our country? Be different. What if all of us decided that, hey, look, uh, as we've been talking about in this series, that we're not saved just from something like loneliness, anger, or doubt, fear, we're saved for the world, for something, for people made in the image of God. What would that look like? We also discovered that if our life with God is good, is going to be good for our world, it begins with really our hearts. The psalmist says, change my heart, O oh God. Change my heart. We say that our hearts are good for the world when we want what God wants. When we fully surrender our lives to Jesus, when we fully surrender our lives to God, we want what God wants. So today we're talking about, but that circle begins after our change heart begins with our families. And last week we said we're good for our families. Our families are good for the world. When we authentically walk and live our faith. And this week we're talking about our neighbors, our neighborhoods. Our neighborhoods, those are people and places, people we interact with on a daily basis. 
could be at home, at work, at school, whatever environment you find yourself, in your office, where you, those are your neighbors. Uh, maybe, uh, well, I will admit this, okay? Up front, I'm not comfortable thinking about the good of my neighbor. Uh, that parable that Jesus talked to a man who came to challenge him about what, I'm, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God, and Jesus told him, love God, love your neighbor, and he said, no, but... Hey, the man seeking to justify himself, he said, how can I love my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I live in Watertown, yes. My kids go to Boston school. I live in Waltham, the greater Boston area. I, who is my neighbor? Who are they? Where are they? Where are these people? Let's be honest. I don't want to think about for the good of my neighbor. I want to think for the good. What, what about for the good of me? Well, me, what's going on? What's, uh, you asking me to sacrifice time and resources and energy? Have you seen my house? So I have two girls. I have a family. I'm, I'm getting things done. Things are, I'm busy. I'm hurried. I'm driven. Uh, sacrifice? I mean, how much are you asking me to get involved in this? Really? I mean, come on. Do you know my world? Can I not just cross the street and go about my business? Oh, by the way, we've already discovered our life with Jesus isn't just for our own good. It is for the good of the world and our neighbors. So here we are. And that world begins with right outside our homes, friends. So what does it mean to be good for the world or good for your neighborhood? How do we even begin? How do you start to see, to treat, to love, to engage, to serve anybody how do you, where do you start? Jesus has a solution for us. He was so good at this. He was a master. He, he, he was God in a body. He rubbed shoulders with people. He, he was eyeball to eyeball with people made in the image of God, and he, had, he made time for them. He stopped for them. Can you heal me? Can you touch me? Can you provide some wine? My friends, hello, uh, wine is out. You can't run out of wine at a wedding. I mean, he, he stopped, the blind would see, and be like, okay, help me, Bart Myers, heal me. Do something, Jesus. Some of them wanted to trap him. Some wanted to actually to test him. Some wanted to kill him. Others were crying out for answers and say, Jesus, hey, help me, touch me, do something, answer me. I have a question, my daughter, this, and all kinds of stuff. He was a master at this. So Luke's coverage, Luke was a gospel writer who investigates uh, the story of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And he tells us a little bit about Jesus, that when, when, when Jesus was on the planet, he was on mission to reach beyond Jerusalem. He was not going to just stay in Jerusalem, but he had a strategy. His strategy would be, hey, I'm, I'm staying here. Guys, I'm going to invest my life in you, and you guys are going to take the gospel to the world. So we're going to test this little thing. So you've spent two years with me. You've absorbed my lessons. You've uh, seen me preach sermons. You've seen me heal. You've seen me touch people's lives. You've seen me love people. You've seen me rub shoulders. You've seen me notice people. So let's just go. Guys, you ready for this? We're going to see this in the scripture. How did Jesus do it? The Bible tells us when Jesus had called the 12, he's like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, come here. Come here. Come here, guys. Come on. Let's gather here. Let's huddle. Now I'm going to give you power and authority to drive out all demons to cure all diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing from, for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So 
look at that word. So after he talked to them, they what? Disbanded. They went into the community. They went into the neighborhood. Imagine Jesus saying, hey, guys, great job at Watertown. Come on. I love you so much. I've saved you. I've, given, I've forgiven you. I've given you grace. I uh, provided for you. I'm with you. Hey, go and show people what it looks like to be close to Jesus. Jesus called the disciples, by the way, and sent them out on his mission. There was ground to be covered, by the way, people to be reached, and it was time for his disciples to learn to do their part. Imagine, it would be like us. Uh, we've been in the church. We've been in the pew for about two years. Uh, we've seen, uh, we've worshiped, we love people, we know each other, and Jesus is like, okay, stop huddling. This game is done. Let's just go out there and just... Let people get to see who Jesus is. The closest men and women will ever see Jesus is by being in proximity with you. You start noticing them. Say, hi. Hello. So he called them two by two. When you read the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter eight, he, uh, Luke chapter nine, he sends the 12. You go to Luke chapter, nine, uh, chapter 10, he sends 70. So he's moving from two. It's a strategy. He's sort of, it's the same thing that Pastor Brian has been talking about, or we've been thinking about, this great chapel community, that we're moving from a come and see to a go and do. Uh, we've done this come and see. We've spent time together. We've been around each other. Now, let's just go and get to know who needs Jesus. Who, who is looking and searching for meaning and hope and purpose? Who is overwhelmed by life's struggle? You hold the key to the Prince of Peace. And so, first thing Jesus, he does though, we have to go back to chapter eight to get the backstory. Once we get the backstory, he tells them, okay, this is exactly what I want you guys to go and do. Uh, in Luke chapter 8, they sit in the boat to go and start doing ministry, and the winds and the, buff, uh, the, winds and the storms, they buffet the boat. They're over when Jesus is in the boat, he's asleep. He knows what's going to happen. They're not going to die. These are the guys who are going to take the gospel into the world. And it's like, okay, guys, and the guys are this panic mode. Hey, okay, this is not going to happen. We're going to die. They go call Jesus. Jesus says, guys, where's your faith? So he builds their faith. He reminds them that he's the one who calms the storms. He has power over the physical world and the spiritual world. And then they get out of the boat. They go on the other side. A man possessed by a demon comes and says, oh, you're the son of God. What, what are you doing here? What do you want with me? And Jesus commands the demon and gets out. He's freed, set free from that. And the disciples are like, oh, okay. So he calms the, the seas. Okay, that's great. Oh, he also has power over the spiritual world. I like this. Oh, by the way, there's a man at this, right after that interrupts Jesus. He says, Jesus, can you come heal my daughter? She's about to die. Uh, on his way to the Jairus' house, a ruler in the synagogue, he gets there. Before he gets there, there's a woman who interrupts Jesus. He's like, she had been suffering for 12 years, bleeding. Spent money. Entire community has shunned her. Overwhelmed by life. She's like, one thing I could do, my last ditch effort is if I could touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be okay. It's, I'm going to be free. So she risks, she touches the hem of his garment. Jesus is like, whoa, what's going on? Power just went out of me. He knew who she was, and she comes, she falls on her feet. Uh, she, when Jesus asks who touched me, she's healed. 
And then Jesus goes, he gets, tells her, hey, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the disciples are like, okay, the winds listen. Okay, by the way, uh, the demon possessed also disappear. Oh, now he healed a woman. And then he goes to the house of Jairus. By the time he gets there, the 12-year-old girl, she's dead. Oh, right, let's see if he has power over the spiritual world. He gets there. He's like, okay, Peter, James, and John, I want you to just come with me. Let's just go in, and I'm going to pray. And he takes the three, spends time with them. They pray with the family, and he says, hey, arise, daughter. She gets up. Now, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, are like, hmm, that's pretty good. Now he has power over death. Then we get to chapter 9. He's like, okay, guys, okay, you sh- I'm going to share my power. Go out in the world and preach. And announce the good news, the kingdom. This is a test drive after they get through the training session. See, Jesus was good at noticing people and listening to people and moving towards their pain. He touches the untouchable. He speaks to the shun. He's willing to be interrupted in God of his way to comfort, to give hope and healing to those in need. So now he comes. He's like, guys, okay, this is a test drive. The rest of you. That was an internship. Two years, okay, there's one more year to go, but let's test this thing to see if this thing is going to work. Let's see. And Jesus is saying, okay, uh, there's a world to reach. I'm not going to be there. He's saying to us, by the way, that he's not going to be at the coffee shops, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts. He's not going to be at the restaurants where we eat. He's saying, okay, guys, I, I want you just to go there and be yourself so people can see who you are. He's moving them, and they're moving from a come and see kind of disciple to a go and do kind of disciple. They've now observed who Jesus is, absorbed his lessons, they, they've felt his presence, they've touched him, and Jesus believes in them. Did you know that Jesus believes in you? That's why he gives them power and authority to go out and do what he wants to do through them. Verse 9, look at when Jesus had called the 12, he gave them power and authority. So he's the difference. Power is the ability to do something. Authority is the right to do it. You have power to do what God has called you to do. You have authority. You have the right. Your daughter, a son of God, given power and authority. Some, some of us, we just need to re- realize that, we, yeah, God is, God is in, on the inside. He's working. And so he sends them. His purpose is that the word gets out to even larger circles. Remember, hundreds and thousands were flocking, coming in, pressing in on Jesus to hear his message. Now Jesus is saying, okay, go everywhere. Go into every neighborhood. Go to Waltham. Go to Watertown. Go to Greater Boston. I know it's risky out there. People don't want to hear what you have to say. People don't know. They don't trust you. They don't care about what you're going to say. They, let's, but go out there. And they're like, okay, we're not sure we're going to do this. Right? Jesus knew he would not get into every neighborhood even when he was here. That's interesting. He can't go. He may not be physically to walk into by your office. You are there. So when I'm in my office, guess who's there? Jesus is there. When I'm at work, Jesus is there. When I'm in the community, Jesus is there. When I'm at school, Jesus. when I was going to school, Jesus is there. Wherever you might be yourself, you might be, Jesus is there. Well, someone in our Lexington campus sent a story, and they got really creative. She's a mom. She was a stay-at-home mom, and she decided she was going to do something about it. She's like, okay, instead of bringing people to the church, she was going to go into, she's going to take the church into the community. So when she got there, she organized a mom uh, group to get together once a week, and then 
she invited moms in the church who had different gifts and talents and skills so they would come and share those gifts with the people in the community. So she would organize these meetings. One thing she did is if someone knew how to help people discover their spiritual gift she, uh, or their temperament or whatever, she would invite them to this gathering this in her neighborhood. Uh, if someone knew how to make cookies for Christmas, she did that. Her name is Carol. She began hosting a monthly gathering of local moms. She invited friends and they shared the gifts. One mom shared tips on hosting fun parties for children. Uh, the neighborhood gathering actually started growing, including the creation of a neighborhood. Can you imagine if you had a Watertown recipe book? It'd be cool. Water, uh, Winthrop, oh, I mean, uh, Waltham and Belmont and Newton recipe. It's possible. Colleen eventually moved away from her neighborhood and began a new chapter in her life, but she and her former neighborhood friends still exchanged stories of their fellowship. She just got creative. She knew that she was withholding information that's life-saving to the people in the community. So she invited her neighbors and she invited her church. Invite your neighbors, invite the church, work together, get this done. We have the greatest news in the world, sharing it to the, with others. How can we not? Third, Jesus tells, them, tells the disciples, to depend on God. Look at the verse three, it says, he told them, take nothing guys, take nothing, don't take any baggage, don't take anything extra, just trust me, depend on me to help you do what I've called you to do. No bread, no money, no extra shirt, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave town. So they have no travel, no travel or extra provisions. You know how sometimes we get fearful, like okay, I don't wanna say something foolish, something stupid. Uh, oh, we can get stopped by a long list of what if I, what if, what if, what if, what if. Jesus wants you to know you got the Holy Spirit. You got the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside with you in whatever environment you find yourself. Just as a disciple, just trust Jesus. He'll enable you to do what he called you to do. This is what he says. He says, guys, you are equipped. Be content there until you leave. They were to live differently from others. They were, to, they were not to drain their communities expecting, expecting reward of service. That's why I just said, don't expect reward. Just go out there. And actually, people are going to take care of you. People will take care of you. What I find interesting is that Jesus was saying, hey, look, anytime men and women uh, get to see you, get to hear you, get to listen to you, they're actually listening to me, they're hearing me, and they're seeing me. I am not there, but anytime you do that, they'll see. And what's gonna happen, there'll be results. You see, people will be generous, people will listen, because you have the Spirit of God doing that. So if you ever feel inadequate, you're like, okay, there's another pitch. Let me encourage you. This is not another pitch, because you got the Holy Spirit, you got Jesus, you got the resurrection. You got resurrection power living on the inside. Well, spring serve, we did that, friends. We did it. 60 of you uh, showed up and loved the community and served the community and cared for the community. Imagine if we did that throughout the year and not just one time, because now they forgot who we are. They're like, okay, but they need hope. Every, you know, we can do that. People would begin to say, I don't know whether I agree with them. I, I don't believe what they're saying, but I'm so glad these people are in the neighbor. I'm so glad they're my neighbor. I'm so glad they're here. So here's our faithful practice. So what can we do to keep showing Jesus to our neighborhood? Hospitality. 
Now, I'm not talking about hospitality in the sense of Martha Stewart, where you have to prepare a big meal and invite everybody in the community so you can spend time with them. You don't even know what to talk about because the world is changing so fast. Different values, different ideas of what it means to, be, to believe in God. That's not what we're talking about. We're, all I'm saying is that hospitality is making room in your heart and your home for people here in Watertown and the greater Boston. How can we do that? This is not, so how can we do that? Well, we could do a couple of things. Today, you can ask someone, hey, I know we've never met. I, I know you're busy, I have, you have schedule. Hey, can we just have, grab coffee, maybe grab lunch, lunch, so I get to know your story? We could start here, just, just today. Or maybe have this summer planning as action points of things you can do to really begin becoming aware and bringing people into existence so that you get to see them and notice them and say, hey, hi, hi. We, we are good at this. We can do this. One thing we can do in this summer, you could do it maybe in June, you could invite your neighbors and share a meal at your table. See, it requires we slow down a little bit and allow the Spirit of God to lead us to what he wants to do in our community. Oh, you could do in August, what you do, you could try to grab coffee with someone you cross paths maybe at work or at school, but never have fully had a real conversation. By the end of the summer, you'll have three friends, one in June, July, and August. You do that, you'll be closer to Jesus. Well, you'll be proud. Maybe someone needs encouragement. Someone needs a visit in the hospital. Maybe someone needs a phone call. Maybe someone just needs you to write a little note. Maybe someone needs you to invite them for dinner. This actually, we have, uh, the leadership team here have put together what they call wad gathers. You hear the bawling experience? You can invite someone you don't know. Say, hey, I, I'm not the preacher. Can, do you like to ball? Let's just go and ball. Have fun. Not talk about God. When the right time, the Holy Spirit leads you to that, you can bring up the subject. But just have, a f- have fun with your neighbors. Get to know them. Slow down a little bit. We could do that. Well, here... In our church, Dave and Nicole, they decided they were going to make room for their neighbors. This is what they did. Uh, they have a hockey tournament for their kids, so they got creative. Nicole writes, I first and foremost want to thank you for allowing Dave and I the opportunity to reach out to a hockey community. So that's their hockey neighborhood. So they use the church. And she says they had a very successful knee hockey tournament. She says, the fi- is that what it is? Yeah? Okay. Missed that. The families loved the space, and they had a wonderful conversation about church and life and music. And Mike and Lindsay, they offered help and provided music, and the kids had a great time. They're like, who is the DJ? The moms and the parents were asking. Like, oh, actually, that's the worship leader here at the church. And some of the kids started coming to church. They've never been to church. They don't know what a church environment looks like, but they got there, and when they get into these environments, they get to know and to hear about Jesus who loves them, who died for them. We can do that. They had 21 kids coming here. Beverly is also making room for neighbors who are different from her. Beverly is a nurse who attends Grace Chapel. About six months ago, Linda, one of us, she's our student ministry director in Watertown, I introduced Beverly to a local school looking for mentors. This is why Beverly writes. My first time helping, I was a bit uncomfortable. I wasn't sure what I should do. One room had older children, and another had about five, six kids, ranging from five to ten years of age. 
I was immediately drawn to the younger children. They were a little shy with me, and I was shy with them. But that, notice the transformation. That has changed. They come into the program right from school. They get a snack. They get a drink. They go to their homework. They get a book to read with help. They know they're doing this for three or four hours, and then they can go play. She says they're well-mannered, they're respectful. It's such a, do you hear this transformation? It's such a treat to be able to help as they are eager to learn. I have become very, see the transformation again? I've become very fond of all of them and look forward to seeing them as much as I can. You know why I call that? Helpful generosity. She's helpful and she's generous with her time and resources. It's something we can do, and I'm so glad I'm part of a local church like Great Chapel Watan, where we have people who are doing this, who are doing this. Beverly writes, this program could use more volunteers. More, she's saying, this program could use more good neighbors who are good for the world, who can make room in their hearts and homes. I imagine someone sitting in a drive-through or corner office or sports arena in Watertown, Newton, Greater Boston. He doesn't know whether you see them, whether they, they feel ignored, they feel invisible. Nobody's noticing them. Are you willing to really get closer a little bit and help them get to the meaning of life that they're so desperately looking for? Our neighbors are filled with guilt and shame and fear and doubts. They're also looking for friendships. They're looking for beauty. They're looking for joy. They're looking for a little support, the challenge of life. And we live in a world where people are flooded with emotions, uh, fear of the unknown, anger, abuse, hurt. People who are hurt, trust issues, financial fears, future, health issues, lack of purpose, broken marriages, all kinds of stuff. You're in proximity with people who are looking for deep, satisfying relationships. Your experiences are designed with purpose to minister them. So, friends, this got personal to me. When we were asked to, the campus pastors to talk about for the good of the neighborhood, I grew up in a family, in a household, where my mom and my dad were evangelists. Uh, my dad was a pastor, and they were really good at it. And when I was a kid, five-year-old, six-year-old, they would take, with me, they'd take me with them so I could see how they do this little ministry thing. So we'd be on the bus, and my mom would get up and be like, my name is Florence Nikairo. By the way, I want to tell you something. I, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. Uh, Jesus loves you. And I, as a six-year-old, I'd be like, can somebody help me just get out of this bus? Couldn't, couldn't go anywhere. Uh, my dad would go in an open-air meeting. There are like hundreds of people coming in, and he would set up a sound system. I'd play guitar, and he would, uh, they would sing. He would preach a sermon, and I'd be like... Uh, What's going on here? They're introducing people to Jesus. I saw that in them. So it's personal to me. So when we got this opportunity to preach on the good neighborhood, there was one problem I had, one issue that God needed to do something about. I didn't live in Watertown. Here I am. I'm going to come Sunday and be like, guys, let's just go to Watertown, change the world, reach people, connect with people, love people, serve, engage people. Come on, let, let's do this. Come on, let's go. Come on, Watertown. Ready? Ready to go? Ready, set, go. But I don't live there. But you've been gracious and generous uh, with your time and uh, looked for, some of you have written notes, some of you have connected me to real estate agents, some of you have helped us uh, bring like little notes with uh, numbers you've written down of places you've seen and you've been so generous. Uh, and last week, what we actually looked over 
we stopped actually to look over about 30 places. Just being in the building, I can't count how many places we've seen online. I can't count. Monday, one of the ladies who comes to our church, um, Trisha, called me Monday and she's like, okay, I have four places for you, one to buy, three to rent. I had faith and doubt. I was like, this is not going to happen. I went in and looked at all the places. We found one place we really liked. That morning, actually Monday, I told God, God, this is it. I got one week to pull this off. (laughs) I did. Asked Rebecca. I got one week to pull this off, so help me. We're praying in the car. I'm driving her to work. I went to see the places we liked it. We put an application on Tuesday. Wednesday, they told us, you have the place. So there we are. So, so, here's the deal. So, I don't know anything about the neighborhood. Jesus is depending on you to take him into the neighborhood. I'm going to need your support. I'm going to need your encouragement. I'm going to need your inspiration so we can go and love people, not just once a year, Helpful generosity that's spread out throughout the year. Our lives will be richer because when we, you know what? When we are, you know, we are good for the world when we make room in our hearts, in our homes for people for whom Jesus died. We're good for the world when we make room for people in our hearts, in our homes. For these people who are different from us or unlike us. We're good for the world when we make room in our hearts and homes for people who are unlike us and different from us. Can you imagine, uh, let's just dream, okay? Can you imagine if we did this for two weeks? What would it look like if we decided as a church, as Great Chapel Watertown, we were, we're gonna see people the way Jesus sees people, people who are different, people who are unlike us. We're going to notice people. We're going to greet them. We're going to have a conversation. Can you imagine? Just two weeks. Can you imagine what happened in a month? Can you imagine what God could do in you, in us as a church, if we decided, uh, God, by your Holy Spirit, we're going to just do this? Can you imagine what could happen to some families? Can you imagine what could happen to homes? They could be changed and transformed over time. Can you imagine if we did it for six months? Can you imagine if we did it for 12 months? Just one year, you committed yourself. You're like, okay, God, help me to see people as you see them and help me to do as you want me to do. Because when we make room for people in our hearts and our homes who aren't like us, man, it's a game changer. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. You're so good, amazing, loving, kind. You are God who left glory, you left your throne, everything. You came down to us. When we were in our deep, dire need of, we were lost in sin and broken. You didn't just come down from heaven to save us. You came to demonstrate the love of our Heavenly Father. You are God who moved into our neighborhoods to make room for us. Even though it involved a painful death, you made time. You accepted it. Even when you're on the cross, you're a God who made time for a thief, a criminal. You introduced him to our Heavenly Father. God, would you do something in all of us?
today that we'll make a commitment to make room for people. Help us to be generous because you're a God who's been generous. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.